We're beginning a new sermon series this week, and it's echoing, uh, shadowing what we're doing on Wednesday night called Becoming a Contagious Christian. Uh, before we dive into that, I just want to, we're going to play a little game here, and I'm, we're going to try to figure out who invites the best to church. The number one denomination that invites people uh, better than anybody else to church is what denomination? Pentecostals, that's right. 71% of Pentecostals invite people to their church. Now again, I'm much more concerned with us sharing Jesus with somebody than inviting them to church, but that's a great statistic. The next on the list is somebody in a non-denomination. Uh, 60% of their people will invite somebody to church. When I was a child in Pennsylvania, I grew up Lutheran. My dad's family was Lutheran. 4% of Lutherans uh, invite people to church. When I also grew up as a child in Pennsylvania and I stayed home sick from school or during the summer, there were two staples on at my house on TV that I remember very vividly. One was catching up to see what that dastardly Stefano DiMera was doing on Days of Our Lives <laughs> and The Price is Right. All right, everybody remember The Price is Right? Well, we're going to play the range game. Here we go. And you know how the range game works, right? That little red range will go up, and if you can guess the number in between 71% and 4%, where Methodists are, you're going to win a prize today, all right? So when that red gets up to 71%, or maybe above, y'all were not even on the range. We're 3%. 3% of Methodists uh, invite somebody to church. I heard a pastor in our area say the average Methodist invites somebody to church once every 35, 38 years. Now, that's not us. That's a national average, though. Better not be us. But, but it reminds us of the importance of what a great faith. You heard of what we have in Jesus Christ sung so beautifully and played so beautifully for us today. We who were needy were able to come to Jesus for salvation. So for a couple of weeks, we're just going to look again at the importance of, we started last week, but the importance of sharing our faith uh, in Christ Jesus. We're going to do that by looking at several passages in the book of Acts. For the next two weeks, this week and next week, we'll be in Acts chapter 2, uh, but it's important for us not just to talk about it, but to get some specifics on that, and here's what I say. Here's why I say that. I remember my son playing eight-year-old summer league baseball. Nobody on that team could do anything right, according to their head coach. Nobody. Every time they'd miss a ball, catch the ball. Every time they'd strike out, hit the ball. I watched practices. I watched the game. Whenever they messed up, you should have done this. You know what I never saw that coach do? I never saw him say, oh, by the way, here's how you do this. <laughs> Instead it was, you should have done that. Instead of, hey, here's some ways we can do that. Here's how you catch a fly ball. Here's how you hit a baseball. And preachers can be guilty of that. Last week we looked at Jonah and, and we said, hey, we need to make sure to, to make disciples, to share the grace of Jesus Christ. Share the grace. <laughs> We didn't really talk a whole lot. We talked a little bit about how to do that. And so that's why we're doing the Wednesday series. And then what I'll do on Sunday mornings is mostly be preaching. But at the end, we'll have just some practical reminders of how we hit the ball, how we catch the ball. Another reason uh, we're, we're looking at this, y'all realize we're a month away from General Conference in the United Methodist Church, okay? 
we're a month away. And we've been waiting three years now for this conference to happen. And for many of us, it's been a time of, of, of wondering, maybe some time of, of anxiety. And it could have been very easy for any church or our church family to turn inward and to circle the wagons. That's not what we're going to do the month leading up to that meeting. We're going to talk about how we go out and share. I've loved how our church, with the shadow of that conference over us for three years, I have loved watching you step out in faith. We've just created a Christian formation team. We've created a, a, a discipleship group team. We've created, uh, um, uh, you already had a community team, but uh, just created an outreach team looking at local missions. We've already made three or four trips to Delta Grace. We're going back uh, March 15th and 16th. This Monday, we start Celebrate Recovery Step Team Study. If you're interested in a, be a part of that, it's this Monday night, 630 in room 122 and 118. I love how we're saying, we're not circling the wagons. We're going to do what disciples do. We're going to make uh, disciples. So it's right that I think that we spend our time uh, looking at who we're called to be and, and what we're supposed to be uh, about. Now listen, I understand that if you're a guest and, you, and you've been visiting with us, you might think this is not a series for me. I don't want to invite people to this church. I'm not a member here. We're, this is much more about inviting people to a living relationship with Jesus. Matter of fact, most of the people you all share the gospel with, we share the gospel with, not most, but some probably don't need to be here, right? If you know they're praise and worship people, send them up to vertical. If you know they're high, high church people, send them down to Father Keith at Holy Trinity. The importance is looking for those opportunities to be able to share about a faith in Jesus Christ. Now, once we do that, we got to get into a church family. So don't zone out about that. But, but for all of us, we could be tempted to zone out and say, you know, that's kind of not my thing. I'm a good example with my coworkers and with my family, but in terms of verbalizing my faith, that's just not my thing. That's not what I do. Or maybe you're zoning, you might want to zone out because you're thinking, I tried that once. I blew it. I'm sure that guy's headed to the abyss because of me. It's all my fault. It's not about you. It's a great part of our theology. It's the Father who draws, okay? It's the Spirit who inspires, and it's up to the person to respond. Our job is simply to be faithful, to be prepared, and to be expectant. It's not on us. So let's all engage this as we walk through the book of Acts, seeing, seeing how, how, how the Lord would, would want to, to use us. Even, when, again, you might think, oh, could, it, could he use me? Do you know what's just before this passage? Right around this passage is uh, the selection of Matthias. How would you feel if you were a Matthias? I wasn't there for three years. Judas is gone. They even had to cast lots for me. They weren't sure if I was the one. I can't be one of these 12. And yet, church history tells us not only did he say yes, not only did he go, but that he preached, he was effective, and ultimately, he gave his life for Jesus Christ as a disciple. But he could have sat over here and said, no way, I wasn't discipled under Jesus for three years like those guys. There's no way you could do that with me. There's no telling the, 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 the victories and the souls through Matthias. I love to re rehash, and you've probably heard me say this story, but I, but I love the story about How Harold Vivian. He was a young engineer with the, B I think the BBC or the radio division, 
but in 1930, the King of England was to give a big speech at a, uh, disar a disarmament uh, conference. It was a critical speech, not just to England, but to the world. But just as he got up to speak, just minutes before that, this young engineer and others realized there was a problem with one of the electrical wires. So what did Harold do? He grabbed it, took about 200, 250 volts for about a 15, 20-minute speech. Now listen, I have trouble testing the 9-volt batteries at my house, right? You know how you do that? Guys know how. Guys do that. 200 plus, and he took it. Matthias could have stepped back and said, no, I can't be a part of what the king would do. He didn't even disciple me. He took it. So don't, don't let, that, don't let the, the accuser of the brethren lie to you. Don't let your feelings get in the way. All of us just need to work on being prepared and being faithful and being expectant, and the Lord can and will use you. You even look at Peter here. Peter's just weeks away from blowing it in this very city. And yet, here we're going to see his, the first move, if you're following along in your notes, the first move of his evangelism in Acts 2, 14, what does he do? I mean, it's the day of Pentecost. It's not as big as, as Passover, but there would have been hundreds of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem. And when I say hundreds of thousands, it's going to be a lot of people who were just here at Passover, people who had killed Christ, who were there for that, people who had tried to hunt down disciples. That's why they were hiding. That's where they are, just weeks after his failure, but because of Christ's death and his resurrection and now the empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit, what does he do in 2.14? He stands up. One who had just run a few weeks ago because of the grace and power of Christ and the filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit, he stands up. This man, who had tucked tail just earlier and had run, he allows himself to be counted. I don't, know, I don't know exactly what Jack Gropple does, but I saw where he was uh, speaking at a conference. And basically, he, would give, he does team building, and so he brings in all kinds of businesses and, and athletic teams in. And for one of the tasks, he has them, just a couple guys go out, and they run, and I think they have to go and tag a, a white fence and come back. But he's going to let you know in this video, there's a little wrinkle, a little element to that. And I want you to see, see the, uh, the response to that as we think about Peter's response.
So that's what we'll be doing over these weeks. It's important for us to be ready because Peter got bumped weeks ago and he ran. Here he gets bumped and he stands up. When you and I are faithful to prepare and are, and are ready for those hard spiritual conversations, then hopefully we'll do as the FBI members did, right? I was blessed to share uh, an evangelism class when I was at Christ United Methodist Church and there was one particular week where a pastor got up uh, to share about a suicide that had happened in the metro area. And he shared about that, and we had prayed for that family. It wasn't a family in our church, but it affected so many people in our family. And he got up and just said some, some very helpful things about our response in just the horror of that situation. Uh, a particular young woman from that church had also been coming to my evangelism class. And she had reported to me the week after that, I was at a gas station. I was getting gas. And I heard the next person over talking about that, talking about that suicide and that he had heard that a pastor at a church had said something about it. And so she just finished getting her gas. Well, she had a, a chance to either run from that or walk towards that. And she decided, you know what? I need to walk towards that. I remember what my pastor said. And she walked over and said, you know, I was there for that sermon. Here's what my pastor shared. And I hope this is helpful and she shared it. You want to take a wild guess who the person was that she spoke with? And she could have just stepped back 
Even though she was prepared, she could have said, God, you're not going to probably use me. She could have not been expecting. She stepped up as Peter steps up and she shares. It's the roommate of the person who had died. There's no telling what's happened in his life because one Christian said, I'm going to stand up and say a word in love with gentleness and reverence as we're reminded in Scripture to do, but I'm going to say a word. And that's what happens here. Uh, um, Peter stands up. And then in verse 38, Peter shares about Jesus. Jesus is the focus of our sharing, not church. Listen, a lot of people in our culture are burned by church. They're burned by what they say is hypocrisy in the church. They're burned by somebody who burned them uh, in the church. The focus and the heart of what we share is always a living relationship with Jesus. After that, we do want to talk church with people uh, because definitely we're all supposed to be a part of, of the body of Christ. But he shares about Jesus, and the importance is he shares. He verbalizes it. Now, you and I know 80% of all communication is nonverbal. You and I earn the right to share because of a life well lived, a life that looks like Jesus. Don't think you and I can just say our little words if we haven't had attitudes like Jesus, if we haven't had lives like Jesus. But at some point, could be a pretty quick, could be a months or years later in the relationship, at some point we have to verbalize our faith in Christ. Did you know that's what the book of Acts is? 25% of this book is speeches. 25% of people verbalizing and sharing, whether it's here or Philip or Paul, here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's critical for us to share. And then next, verse 38 reminds us, and it, this may be a side issue, but I love that Peter defends the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised in John's gospel that the Holy Spirit would come. And when Jesus talks about sins, there's really, look, he, is, he doesn't pull any punches on sin at all, but he goes out of his way to say there's one unforgivable sin. And I think that's in, in the back of, of Peter's mind here when he makes sure to defend the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of confusion that day. Not only is it just interpretation of, of languages and tongues, but people are accusing them of being drunk, all that confusion. And he defends the work that Jesus had defended in John 14. And again, the reason I bring that up is it's the Spirit's work. I just got to be faithful, I've got to be prepared. I've got to be expectant. But it's the Holy Spirit, verse 39, it's the Spirit who, who draws us. It's up to people to respond. So I love that the Peter reminds us the Spirit's involved in this. When you and I share, we're trusting that the Spirit's already been ahead. And he's going to be faithful now and after I share uh, to bless. It's not on me. And then in verse 17, this is a good reminder for Peter, for Paul, throughout the book of Acts. They know their culture. They speak to their culture. That's what Peter does. He speaks to the culture. I mean, he pulls out SEC football here, right? He pulls out fried food. He knows, well, that's not what he does. But that's, what, right, that's Southern culture, right? He pulls out the Old Testament scriptures. And they would have gone, oh, yeah. He's speaking our language. He pulls out their heroes, Joel, and even Patriarch David, 
and, 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 and talks for a long while about him. He's speaking their language. He knows them well enough, as we said last week, knows them well enough to not only know what they'll listen to, but he also knows the questions that they will be asking. One of the great things we can do before we even share a word about Jesus is to have done our homework, to know somebody well enough, to build a relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus long enough to know their questions. Do we love enough to get to know so that we can know their questions? Verse 23, he tells the truth. This is not only a mocking and tough crowd. This is a numerous crowd. Hundreds of thousands of people are in Jerusalem, but he still steps up and he speaks and he tells the truth. Now listen, I'm not recommending, this is one of the few times in Scripture I'll say, don't do exactly what Peter did, because what did he do here? You're the ones who killed him. Don't say that to somebody uh, when you're trying to share Jesus. Are you not a Christian? You killed him. Don't start with that. But he tells them the truth. Uh, he tells them the truth. You have to gauge that. Again, as we said, always be prepared to share an answer for the hope that's within you. It's always, though, with gentleness and reverence, as that scripture says. But there's times to step up and share truth. I've got a really large extended family, so you won't know who this person was. And I may have shared this before, but my aunt and uncle uh, were having their first child to get married. And so that young man came in sweating to ask permission, right, in front of my aunt and uncle. He says, you know, I'd like to marry your daughter. I think this and this about her. And the uncle was giddy, loved, loved him, and said, well, sure. And my aunt said, hold on a minute. <laughs> now, she had gotten to know this young man and was very accepting and, and very glad that he was proposing uh, to my cousin. And he is, he's a great and wonderful guy. But she said, hold on a minute. Are you a Christian? Who does that, right? Maybe it's not the season to do that. We, we try to share our children about the importance of being equally yoked and all the implications of that when they're not. Our hearts break when they're not because we know they, they can't, they can try and struggle but never going to be completely on the same page. It's not our job to control that, but that's what you desire. She said, are you a Christian? I'd like to know that. I mean, you all can get married without us, but I'm going to sit before I say yes, I want to know that. He said, well, yeah. He said, okay, I also want to know, are you going to treat my daughter like Paul told the, the men in Ephesians to treat their wives? Or are you also, as Scripture says, going to live with my daughter in an understanding way, as Scripture says? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Put her, the truth on him. Y'all, it's hard to share truth with family. It's different sharing truth with a stranger. But to say that in a family, you know she's got to live with that son-in-law forever, and she put it on him, that wasn't going to stop her. It was, it, she felt the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is when you drop truth, and she dropped it. Always gentleness, always reverence. But Peter stands up to them, and he, and he hits them with a difficult truth. And, and, and there's a call for us in our discernment, how do you and I do that? Very quickly as we close. I'll give more time to this. We had a longer introduction today uh, in the coming weeks. But what about our evangelism? What are two things that we've been sharing on Wednesday night? One is this, and this is a reminder I share all the time, and I'm glad it's not budget time. I do not matter. I wish I did. But in terms of people saying yes to Jesus Christ over the last 20-plus years, what they tell us is you matter more than pastors matter, Right? After the 60s, nobody believes authority anymore. Whether it's government, big business, church leaders, any institution is to be questioned. 
If a preacher shares Jesus, he's just sharing Jesus because that's his job. But when you will share, there's no telling what the Lord can do. When people come to Jesus Christ, we're told that in terms of a life crisis, which I thought would be a high number, it's only 3% of people find Jesus, they say, because they had a life crisis. 11% of people say the first attraction to the gospel, to Jesus, was a search I had for truth. The number one reason, and 11% is second, 47%, basically half of people, of all the things they could choose, my initial attraction to the gospel, it was a person. It's a friend, relative, business, associate, or a neighbor. That's how, they, that's how we, we, we kind of break that down. That's where 66 to 75% of people hear the gospel clearly and respond to it for the first time. It's just, just through people, not through pastors, people who just love Jesus, who live for him, have his attitude, that same attitude is in them, and then they have an opportunity to verbalize. Now, for that to happen, though, and that's the last reminder today, and we'll talk more about that, that's going to mean you and I are going to have to build relationships, which is always scary and risky to build relationships with people uh, who don't know Jesus. But more and more people are not coming to Christ at an altar rail or in our prayer room. That's happening. I love when that happens. When we, we're faithful, and again, Romans says we have to be faithful to, to share the gospel because faith only comes through hearing. But it's usually a coffee shop. It's usually over, over a lunch. It's in the break room or it's, uh, it's at the gym. Uh, when you and I would just live well, expectant, ready, when the opportunity comes uh, to respond to a need. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for what we see in the life of Peter, somebody who could have counted himself out, and yet he was faithful to stand up. He was faithful to share truth. He, he was faithful to, to, to love enough to, to learn their world. There's so much there for us, Father. We just thank you for his faithful response. Just, Father, as we look at our own selves, uh, just help us as we seek to be faithful to share the love of Jesus. We seek to prepare ourselves to do that. And, Father, that we, that we would be hopeful. We'd be expectant for what you can and desire uh, to do. We thank you for this time. Bless our weeks together in this, your word. Bless now our response to it, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.